that is a tricky term though, passive income, because it can be interpreted several different ways. A lot of people think that owning a single family home is passive income and it's not. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Thank you for tuning in today. Today, our guest is Dr. Vanessa Peters. Dr. Peters is a real estate investor, an active working doctor in San Diego, and our discussion is really around the financial and investing problems and opportunities that doctors have today. If you're not a doctor, there's still a lot to learn from this discussion, how to get into investing, when to find opportunities, how to get people on your team that are invested in your success, the great asset classes to invest in. This is a very full discussion and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Once again, thank you for tuning in and without any further ado, here's the interview. Dr. Vanessa Peters, thank you for joining us on Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. You have a, a great experience. We're going to talk today about passive real estate investing for doctors, a, a topic that we haven't covered on the show yet. But to, to fill out your background a little bit and, and tell our listeners about where you're coming from, your experience, can you you know just fill that out for us and help us know where you're coming sure. from? Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to. Um, I uh, I knew I wanted to be a doctor when I was, uh, I think, in 10th grade uh, because my science teacher said, you know, you're really good at science. Uh, you should be a doctor. And I said, well, OK, I, I have the choice of being a lawyer or a doctor. And so I thought uh, I'll be a doctor because I like science better. I think I'd like people more than courtrooms and arguing. So <laughs> it's kind of funny, but at that, I didn't really know a lot of options out there. Uh, and now I know so many more things that I could have looked into what I chose. And um, I also thought that I would be my own boss if I was a doctor. I didn't want to have a boss. Uh, little did I know that in the real world, doctors have bosses too. So, um, yeah, um, but I've enjoyed my medical career. I moved down from Canada um, to be a family physician in 2002, right out of residency. And I have been in the same clinic ever since then. So that was 17 um, years or so, uh, give or take. And it's been great. I really enjoy it. But um, as I've uh, got more experience and looked around at the finances and things like that, I started to realize that uh, to, to get to where I wanted to go in life was going to take something a little bit different. I was going to have to think out of the box. I uh, When I met my financial planner, it was probably 10 years ago, I, I told him uh, kind of naively, I'd like to retire when I'm 45. <laughs> he laughed. And and uh, he said, uh, do you know how much money you'll need to retire at age 45? And I was like, no. And he gave me some astronomical number. I, I think it was like, I don't know, $6 million or something like that. And I, my face fell and I was like, oh, crap. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, I think I was in my early 30s at the time. And so uh, I thought, OK, well, I'm just going to do my best. Um, I probably won't retire when I'm 45 because I'm almost there now. I'm not there yet. But I will um, I'll save. A lot. I'm going to pay off my house and I'm just going to save, save, save. And so I did. I saved 
uh, half my income and I put it into the 401k, the profit sharing plan. Um, I was fortunate enough to buy a single family home back in 2008, which was, uh, which was a great, which was a great thing to do here in California. Um, a realtor friend of mine suggested that I do that with some extra money I had from a bonus. And, but that was all I was doing. I was, I had a child, I got busy, you know, life, got in the way and of investing just and so I just put my nose to the grindstone and I was doing my best uh, when I looked up again it was um, you know like 2017 and I said gosh that house I bought up in uh, Riverside County is doing really well and I wish I had bought 10 of them uh, <laughs> maybe I should buy some more, maybe I'll buy some more real estate because my net worth is just not where the trajectory is more of a straight line so where um, I think to get where I want to go, I need more of an exponential curve. I had more of a straight curve. And even though the in the last 10 years, the stock market is doing well, it is performing well, still, even with investing a lot of money, it's still kind of a straight line. And that was discouraging to me. So I, um, I felt like I wanted to get back into real estate. And another thing that happened uh, was I was on vacation with my family um, a couple of summers ago. And... I just kind of got the feeling that I needed to be spending more time doing those things, traveling, being with my family. I have one son and realizing how fast the time goes by. And I was like, gosh, I need to create some way to do that without stressing myself out in terms financially. As a physician and many doctors uh, are in the same position as me, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Um, there's doctors who are on a salary and they, they have paid time off. But most of us, uh, it's called PTO, but it's really UPO or UTO, unpaid time off. Because <laughs> oh, you you get paid when you see patients. So they soften the blow, usually by having a rolling 12 average of what you earn so that you don't go on vacation and then get half a paycheck next month. Um, but it, it, re it reduces your overall. And so you take time off, but you pay for it, literally, by not getting paid. And, um, and so I thought that there had to be a better way where I could uh, have income coming in when I wasn't working. So I had this realization like, gosh, you know, time is money. And if I keep working like I'm working, what's the point? I'll be old and gray before I can take time and do the great, th great things I want to do, travel, and my kid will be off to college and beyond. And, and then, oh, yay, let's go on a cruise or something. You know, that's not how I want my life to go. So. Uh, that's what led me back to real estate. You know, I've always known that real estate was great. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad probably 15 years ago, but I wasn't ready for it then. I was just starting mm -hmm. on my career. And the idea of abandoning that and going over to the investor quadrant, you know, the business, it just wasn't, I just, I couldn't go there. I just became a doctor. And I, and I get that, you know, and then I reread it and I was like, gosh, this makes a lot of sense now. I think I'd like to try it. So uh, I wanted to uh, purchase real estate and realized pretty quickly that California was no market to buy in. I, I joined Bigger Pockets, I scoured the area. I was like, I'm going to buy something, just anything. Nothing would cash flow and started looking out of state, as many California investors do, uh, going to meetups. Everybody's talking about investing um, turnkey properties out of state. That freaked me out, though, because I'm very conservative and I don't want to lose my money. And I definitely don't want to be responsible for a property across the country that uh, I won't really have any control over. I don't have anybody there to watch it except for a property manager who I may or may not trust. So uh, that that was like, OK, I'm like going down the list, crossing things off the list. 
And um, when I was on Bigger Pockets, actually, I was researching, um, obsessing, really, and <laughs> saw something about syndications. And I thought, I, I saw it a couple times, and I kind of just brushed it off because that I, w- I wasn't familiar with that word. Um, but it popped up again and again, and I said, what is this? So I looked into it and contacted someone who uh, had posted several times and seemed knowledgeable about it. You know, as an as a passive investor, I you know I I said, hey, I'd like to learn more about this. Had a chat with him, and he told me how it worked and the returns. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. This this is not this can't be real. This is this is too good to be true. Uh, he said, no, it's real. And he showed me a deal, and I flew out to Dallas to check it out. Walked the property, met the property manager, met the sponsor, um, got a gut check, did a full background check actually. Um, criminal background check on the involved parties to make sure that my $50,000 wasn't going to go into a black hole in the Caymans or something. And yeah. so um, when I, when I realized that this was, this was for real, uh, I said, I was all in, you know, I don't do anything halfway. So I was like, this is it. And I got it set up a, a self-directed 401k transferred out as much as I could. And so I've been investing for the last couple of years fully in syndications. Wow. So, so- there's a, a, a big history there, a lot there. Thank you for, for filling us out. So I have here that you've invested, also invested in commercial retail and self-storage and, and manufactured home parks, in addition to what you mentioned. So you've, you've branched out in terms of the asset classes that you invest in. So I think that's great. And before we started recording, you mentioned some of the specific problems that doctors have. In, you know, financially, as structurally, you mentioned about working hours and things, the number of hours worked and your your discussion there about um, if you don't work, you don't get paid. What are some other issues that they run into, doctors specifically, and, and some of those things that are preventing them from becoming real estate investors specifically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of things. First of all, when we get out of school, we're 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 behind the eight ball. You know, it, we're, we're older, um, usually in early 30s. You've got a large debt load and uh, you're starting practice out. You're usually starting with a very good income right off the bat. So that's good. But you're you're just um, you're battling with, OK, now I'm a now I'm an attending. Now I'm a real doctor, whatever you want to call it. And uh, maybe you're married. Maybe you've got kids. But you start to feel like you need to live the part. I think that's one of the biggest things that doctors do. And it makes sense because we've been sacrificing for so long, you know, at least 10 years of schooling postgraduate. Um, and you you want to spend some money. You know, you've been living like a pauper for so many years eating ramen. And so you you're like, hey, I'm going to buy that BMW and I'm going to buy that nice house um, because you've got the salary to afford it and the banks will lend you the money. So that's the first problem is if you've got 100 plus grand in debt and then you take on a mortgage and a car payment, then all of a sudden these paychecks, which seemed really big at the beginning, become very small. So you set yourself up for failure, I think, that way. Um, the, the lifestyle creep that goes along with it um, and then the, the desire to maybe start out with a home and then. Five years later, you want a bigger home, you know, because your friends are doing that or your colleagues are doing that. Or or maybe it's living closer to the coast. You know, like I'm in San Diego and I live five minutes from my work and nice. I live inland. 
most of the doctors in my clinic, they, they live on the coast, you know, and obviously it's way more expensive out there and great for them if they were able to buy it at a better price. But when I came, it wasn't possible. So I think setting yourself up um, in terms of making sure that you earn more than you spend, number one right there. Number two is uh, that we get set up with our 401k and our profit sharing plan and we listen to our financial advisors. Now doctors are very good at learning and ed being educated. And so we are accustomed to say, okay, if I don't know what to do, I'm gonna ask an expert and they're gonna tell me what to do. The problem is, as many of us know, is that financial advisors are going to tell you their world view of how you should invest your money, which is in things that tend to make them money as well. Um, and even if they don't, then they might not be really that knowledgeable about other options, um, private placements and real estate investments and things like that. So they're gonna steer you in the direction of paper assets like stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So, um, and then the taxes, the taxes are a big problem. Um, especially um, on the coast, like here, we, we pay a lot of tax. And so it's hard to make money. It feels like you're running on a treadmill faster and faster, um, but then the more money you make, the more you're spending on taxes and you don't get enough tax breaks. And of course, the, the old adage of buy a giant house with a giant mortgage so you can get a tax break is, is, is very bad advice too. So those are a couple I of things. I agree. Yeah, that's the advice that we're being, or doctors are being given by uh, mm -hmm. people who sell houses and who sell mortgages, probably. So establishing <laughs> those that that those streams of passive income, you know, from your from your perspective, as you've gone along and gotten more into the syndication world, walk us through that and teach us about you know your experiences there and what caused you to branch out in terms of the assets that you're investing in. Yeah, I, I love the idea of passive income. And I think um, that is a tricky term though, passive income, because it can be interpreted several different ways. A lot of people think that owning a single family home is passive income, and uh, it's not. If you own a single family home and you have to manage it, then it's not passive at all. If you have a property manager, it's a little more passive for sure, uh, but you're still ultimately completely responsible and liable. So if something goes wrong with that home, that could wipe out your profits for several years if you need a new roof or something very expensive, HVAC or something like that. So um, I don't consider something passive when you might have to put extra money into it, time or money. And so um, the key for me was to establish something that was truly passive because I already have a job. I don't want another, I don't want another job of real estate. And so the key is that is, is keeping the, the ultimate goal of making more time for my family, that is, and myself, that is the biggest um, the, the nugget that, okay, that's the, uh, the target is more time and everything has to go through that lens. So if I say, gosh, you know, I could buy that fourplex here in town and that would be awesome. And, but wait, 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 how much time am I gonna be spending? How much time is my husband gonna be spending? And, you know, I actually tried to do that and he, he nixed it, which was a good thing because <laughs> that would be way more work and take us down a completely different path. So, um, so when I started investing in, uh, in passively in real estate, I'd get these little checks. And at first it doesn't seem like much because your preferred return might be 150 or $333 or something like that. And you're like, well, I don't need that money. I don't understand really where this is going. But if you look at the big picture and uh, and think about if I invest this much money on a, uh, every six months or every year, 
and start laddering them like you would ladder a CD kind of, and then expect that at a five-year hold, the money is going to start to come back to you, um, you know, and then it's going to exponentially improve if you can reinvest all of your earnings. And that's how I look at it is this passive income flow isn't for me to spend. It's to be reinvested. But with the ultimate goal that when I decide to work less, if I go to, say, halftime or if I retire at some point, I'll have that to actually be living income. So that's my yeah. ultimate goal. You're you're. It's it's a snowball, you know that that the fantastic mm -hmm. analogy. And if you're not reinvesting the money, you're taking chunks out of the snowball. Whereas if you leave it on the snowball, it keeps going, then it'll help you get to your goal when you want to get there. Absolutely. Yeah. So branching out from you said you you started uh, as a syndication investor in apartments in Dallas, but now you're in all these other asset classes you know what what drove you well, not drove you out of apartments but what caused you to look into those other asset classes well i'm doing them concurrently you know i uh i've been investing in mobile home parks are great and i'm in a, a fund right now and so the fund is multiple properties over multiple states i love the idea of being in a couple of funds apart from the single asset plays like one apartment building because the fund provides diversification and safety and it's also usually a longer term hold. So you don't feel like you're needing to find deals as, as often. So the mobile home parks are in mostly the southern states, um, a lot in Arizona, Nevada, and a little more eastern, but not usually in Florida, uh, not where they have hurricanes, preferably. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, but mobile home parks are great because they are not making any more of them. They're, they're not zoning for new mobile home parks. And they are low cost housing for the seniors mostly. And you can go in and buy uh, a mom and pop mobile home park, put it into a larger fund. And what they're what the operators are doing is they're taking two, three, four parks in an area and managing them with one up uh, with one um, resident manager, you can call it, but they're not going to have one per park. And that allows them to um, have an economy in terms of cost and they can make them look nicer raise the rents a little bit, they're still very inexpensive. And as the uh, the senior population ages, they will be in very high demand. And since they're sort of limited, nobody really likes them and wants them around, they can be, they'll become uh, more valuable over time. So that's, I like mobile home parks for those reasons. Um, I love self-storage. Uh, I'm loving it even more lately. I, I feel like it's excellent because it's good in the up market, you know, right now, because we all buy too much uh, stuff and then we yeah. have to put it somewhere. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's the way it is. We have, uh, and then in the downturn, people, unfortunately, if they have to move out of their home into a smaller place or an apartment, they still don't want to get rid of their stuff. And so then they put it into storage. Um, there's no tenants, you know, there's no people in, in storage units. So they're a little bit easier for maintenance. Um, there's not a lot of capital expenditures when you buy one to flip it. Uh, it's just a little bit of a uh, little bit of work. And the REITs really like to to buy those up and for a good profit. So usually you can Absolutely. flip one in three to five years for a very nice profit if you can get that. Uh, they're, they're usually looking for 50,000 square feet and a certain percentage climate controlled. And the new develop one, the 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 ground up ones are looking really nice right now, and uh, they're brand new at this point. Uh, I am invested in one that is a ground up development and does very well 
also. So self-storage is, is a nice place to look as multifamily heats up. I'm still investing in multifamily. I'm, you know, I just invested in one last month. So, but the deals are getting harder to find. And I'm noticing that the, as the cap rates go down, the, um, the, the returns, the IRRs are not 20% anymore. They're, they're coming down. So it's, you know, investor expectations will need to adjust as the deal in the cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I, I'm, I, I haven't invested in mobile home parks yet, but I have invested in multifamily and self-storage. And you, what you said about all of it is great. But the mobile home park specifically, it is affordable housing, but they're not building any more of it anywhere. And many of these parks are going away. So I guess get while the getting's good, if you can. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Definitely makes a lot of sense. I also see you've invested in commercial retail. That's that's definitely a less common one uh, mm -hmm. when I talk to uh, syndication investors. What's your experience there and, and why did you get into that? That's an interesting story. Actually, I, I, that was my first syndication investment. It was from 2012 oh. and I did not know that it was syndication at the time. Um, I, my, my financial advisor suggested that I had some extra money and that I should put it into this investment that he said I was now qualified for and i'm assuming he meant that i was accredited at that point um he didn't explain to me what that was and so i said okay he said the minimum is 25k so i put some money in he said it would be five percent i think it was 5.25 percent return and it, the explanation i got was that i would get that monthly and then the uh they would sell it in eight or so years and so <laughs> i i didn't i didn't know any better and I, there was no projections about what the, what it would be at eight years. Anyways, I'm still in it. I'm still in, actually, I invested in two before I stopped. And the percentage has gone from 5.25 to five. Now it's at 4.75. And so basically it's triple net, no leverage commercial retail. And these, this is basically the Staples, um, tractor supply company, Petco, things like that. Now, you think it would be lucrative, but I think because they're buying it without any leverage, um, their margins are, are not good. So I'm hoping that they get out of it really soon because I would love to have that <laughs> capital back to put into something more lucrative. So my experience within, uh, with industrial commercial is, is not uh, something I would probably do again. And I don't know that much about doing it in a leveraged fashion. So. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, as an asset class, sounds like you're generally not a fan. Uh, well, not the way that I did it. And, you know, the funny thing is, is when I learned about syndications uh, more recently and I was jumping in, I was I kind of had this like uh, when I started reading the PPMs, I was like, wait, I went back. I got all my paperwork from this previous one and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a syndication. So uh, it wasn't explained to me in that way. And I, I didn't know. But when I when you look over the PPM, it's exactly the same with the 70 30 split and all that kind of stuff. So that was, uh, you said, did you say 2012 when you made that investment? Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm curious about, you know, I'm, I'm picturing Vanessa as a doctor in 2012. You're looking for investments and your financial advisor presents this one. And it, it seems like if, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like if you knew then what you know now, you would not have invested in that deal. Am I wrong? Okay. You are correct. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm correct. So... From that point, from, from the point of Vanessa then made the decision to invest and Vanessa now would not make the decision to invest, 
what are the like the top couple of things that you the, the biggest game changers for you in terms of what you've learned that have impacted the decision that you would make in that situation? Well, if I look back to that the market at that time, uh, there was phenomenal opportunities to do amazing things in multifamily in 2012. Yeah. Um, I, or I could have got went out and bought some single family homes. I, but you know, anything would have been better than what I did. I mean, in in real estate, it just unfortunately that's the way it is. Uh, but I would, um, I didn't know about multifamily syndications because it wasn't common to know it back then. It isn't common now. Most of the people I talk to have no idea what I'm talking about. And as you know, if it's structured as a, a regulation D 506B, you have to have a prior relationship with someone. So, you know, who's going to tell you about this stuff? Uh, if not, I mean, we don't talk about money a lot to yeah. our friends, uh, especially doctors. Um, and so it's not like we're out there chatting about about these types of things and investments. And I wish I wish that someone had mentioned it to me at that time. So yeah, that's well, where I'm going now. I, I want to tell people about it. Well, we're telling people right now we're live streaming on Facebook and we've had a total of 12 people tune in so far to the live stream. And then this will, you know, go out to significantly more people than that in the future. I'm curious, you, you mentioned about in that deal, there was not a, a projected exit valuation at the time. And I guess that, that didn't really, that didn't hit you too hard, I guess. What do you, you know, where do you stand on that now? I mean, to me, that would be, an enormous, like, all right, well, how am I getting my money back, you know? Right, right. And and I still, it's still very vague. And I even went back and looked up the current value of the shares, and it's actually less than what I put in. So I'm a little bit concerned. And uh, when you, it, they're not transparent, like we're used to seeing with sponsors, where, you know, you you have the projected exit cap rate, and, and it's, it's all very clear. But this is... You, you know, it's just a different type of deal, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend going into anything if you don't have that information. So you know, live you live and learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, it sounds like you're you're making up the difference anyway by uh, by learning those lessons. Now, you've mentioned earlier in the interview taxes for for doctors. I mean, doctors generally are going to be at the highest tax rate, tax bracket in the U.S. at least, and then you're living in California, that's even worse with state taxes. So, you know, how have you found ways that doctors can invest and manage or reduce their tax bill? And obviously, we're not giving specific taxation or investment advice here. This is general information just to disclaim that. But, but what have you found that works for doctors specifically? Um, well, being knowledgeable about all of the uh, the tax vehicles that are open to you, if you have a high deductible insurance plan, you should be maxing out your HSA, um, and you you know obviously max out your 401k. Those are no brainers. Um, with my with my business, um, with my my group, I should say, we have a um, a profit sharing plan. That's the only money I put into the into the stock market because I have to. Um, because they they have a match, that kind of thing. That's so you don't want to turn away free money. But the rest of my money is going into a self-directed 401k, so that I can invest that in real estate. Apart from that, um, you know there aren't a lot of deductions for the employed W-2 doctor out there. But I would recommend having a side 
gig of some kind so that you can have an S Corp. That would be my number one piece of advice is to, to, to speak to a financial advisor or a team who is willing to work with you and allow you to have a flow through entity so that you can, I know we all, we all work hard, but you can still have something on the side that's not your W-2 income that will allow you to work as a consultant, uh, to do something on the side, do something completely different from medicine if that if that floats your boat, you know, gives you some some passion um, so that you can have a business because being a business person is the way to save on taxes. Absolutely. The, the tax code is written that way in general. It's, it's written to favor business owners rather than employees, and it just is what it is. So mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, we talked previously about the, the, the flood of people that that come at doctors, new doctors, and doctors in general, you know, hey, invest in my thing, or I've got this great way for you to make money, or any of those kinds of things. It's fairly, it seems a fairly unique experience for for doctors who are high income professionals, like pretty much once they're out of school, right away for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, how you found, you know, what do you think about managing that and and that experience and how can doctors, new doctors, doctors are new to investing, work around that or find the, the the actual gems out there, the people that have more legitimate opportunities to invest in compared to, you know, I don't know, invest in my juice pyramid scheme or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> I think we're all afraid of like Ponzi schemes and multi-level marketing and things like that. Um, and, and we should be, you know. Um, you know, I think that you need to have trust uh, before anything else. So if someone comes to you with a with a deal, you need to look at the not at the numbers, not at the deal, not at the location. But first, you have to look at the team. And if they're just some guy that your friend knows, your cousin knows, and you know they've got this great deal on assisted living, and and you're going to make 50% a year, uh, well then you might want to be wary of that. Uh, the the sponsor in my mind should have a track record that you can look at. They should have a website. Um, you know, they should be out there. You'd have to look at their thought leadership platform. If they're out there talking on podcasts and you know being visible in the community and providing value, then that um, provides me with some security. And then seeing what they've done in the past and making sure that they have made good decisions. Um, so I feel like that helps a lot, along with the the criminal background for Hertz too. <laughs> Great, do the do the full criminal background check <laughs> in addition to those other things. Great. Yeah. So we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsor. Okay, Vanessa, I got three questions. I ask every guest at the end of the show. Are you ready? Ready. Great. First, what is the best investment you've ever made? That would be the the single family home I bought in Riverside County in 2008. Um, at that time, um, my uh, realtor friend said, "Oh, Riverside County is doing amazing. They're they're gonna they're gonna boom." I was like, "Okay, well, I got forty thousand dollars. I found a short sale single family home which was nearly new. It was built like within the past three years, and wow. it was worth two was two twenty five short sale." Um, and they, it's now worth 450. And the fact that I've had renters in there uh, ever since then, I've never had a problem with the renters, no major expenses. I calculated it out at 83% uh, cash on cash. So, um, so that one's doing really well. And I still have it. I've leveraged it so that I can put some money in the syndications. 
you know, got got a home equity line of credit. I've considered selling it, but it, it's just like so easy. Like, you know, I'm not. I think I'm just going to hang on to it and, yeah. um, until I have a problem until I have a problem with the renters or something. But it, right now, it's a, a great investment. And I wish I had bought ten of them. But anywho, live and learn. You got to strike while the iron is hot, I suppose. And while other people are freaking out, or while there's blood in the water. Some kind of analogy like that, you have to. You have to get in. <laughs> uh, what what is the just out of curiosity? What is the rent on uh, that place? I imagine California rents being exceptionally high. Just curious numbers. That's a yeah. Um, the rent uh, the rent for that place should be twenty two hundred, um, but I am only charging eighteen hundred. Nice because staying full because. Because I raise it slowly and they're so nice and I never have to drive up there and fix anything. And so, you know, I, you know, the, the, for it to be empty for a few months would, would, you know, wipe out my, my income for the year. So, you know, I'm okay with losing a couple hundred bucks a month on that for now. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't even see it as losing necessarily if you're making the decision to keep it full with great tenants that pay on time and don't break things and don't give you a headache compared to the, Let's say the unknown, but the the very real potential that you could get somebody new in there that just beats the crap out of the place, and it's going to take you maybe a minute to find them anyway, or they're going to call you more often. So you're making a a business decision effectively to keep your price at a certain level, and you know sounds good. Right, valuing yeah. my time. I'm valuing my time. Yeah. Perfect. Times times the most important most important asset. Mm -hmm. On the other side of that. What is the worst investment you've ever made? The uh, the triple net retail commercial that we spoke about earlier is by far because <laughs> I have I think two hundred and ten thousand dollars in that investment and I'm just waiting for it to come out and I hope I get that back you know <laughs> so yeah wow that's that's something definitely uh oh yeah I don't know best of luck <laughs> with that I hope we'll keep in touch and hopefully we'll hear about that <laughs> yeah yeah. Lesson learned. Wow. On my favorite question here at the end of the show is the third question. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? I would say um, that I think I've touched on some of it, but it's uh, real estate investing is a team sport. If you are going to go it alone, then you'll struggle, you know, bringing people who know more than you about it and, uh, you know, leverage their knowledge. If you are going to be investing in syndications, the team is the most important thing. Um, don't don't look at the location or the market, the submarket or the asset or the returns. If you don't, if you aren't 100% sure of, about the sponsor and the team, um, you must have that first. And also, um, like I mentioned earlier, be crystal clear about what is passive real estate investing, um, because um, if if you want to take on a new job and you're passionate about real estate investing, then then go for it. You know. Flip some houses, you know, do that thing. But I learned very quickly when I was looking to buy locally that I can't work and be hunting deals at the same time. My my realtor friend uh, was pinging me every five minutes, you know, from the MLS with, here's a deal, here's a deal, here's a deal. And I'm trying to check it out um, and and run the numbers on bigger pockets with their calculator and it took me about a week before I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make a mistake at work. And, you know, this is not a good idea because you really have to respect the limits of your time. And also 
what is in your wheelhouse? You know, what is, what are you good at? And for me, making, uh, making money is being a doctor. That's what I, that's what I do well at. So I should leave the underwriting to people who know what they're doing. Where can folks get in touch with you? Um, you can get in touch with me. Uh, my email is Vanessa at vmdinvesting.com. And my website is vmdinvesting.com. And I have a freebie for you there. Um, I have my ebook, The Roadmap to Fin The Roadmap to Financial Freedom with Real Estate, The Busy Professional's Guide to Achieving a Six-Figure Passive Income in Eight Years. Um, so it's a quick ebook. I, I created a spreadsheet. Um, because I was curious and I wanted to know what would happen if you invested a hundred grand a year uh, for 20 years. And so I went up to eight years in the book, but I do have the, the spreadsheet that you can also play with. So that's a lot of fun. Cool. Well, that sounds like the perfect fit for our audience and listen, reading that book that, that, you know, sounds like a very good use of time. Yet again, uh, our most important asset is our time and sounds like a good way to use your time. So, mm -hmm. Thank you for your time today, Vanessa. I, I really appreciate all the lessons that you shared and, and the unique experience of coming from a medical background into real estate investing. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. To everyone out there listening and everyone that tuned into the live stream, thank you for participating today. I hope you're enjoying Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. If you are, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That would be a big help. If you know someone that could use some passive income and some passive wealth generation in their life, share the show with them, bring them into our tribe, and hopefully we can help them get started on their way to financial freedom. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.